What is going on, everybody? Welcome to ESPN's Aussie Hoops Hour. My name is Olga Nulich, coming at you from Sydney. We are about a week from the start of the 2023 FIBA World Cup. Uh, a bit earlier than that, actually. We, there's not much longer until this tournament begins. I figured we'd talk through it, talk through the, the boomers, talk through Team USA, and I figured the best person to talk to about this is my friend and colleague, Brian Windhorst. Brian, uh, where, tell us, where are you right now and what, what's, what's the situation where, wherever the hell you are in the world? Yeah, I'm in Abu Dhabi, which is where Team USA is uh, stopping for its last stop before going to Manila. It's literally around the world move for the Americans this year. They, um, they started and they also, um, they, they like beaches and heat. This is big. This is obviously important for the U.S. They started for the week in Las Vegas, where it was, you know, routinely over 40 degrees Celsius, I believe. Um, and uh, I'm not sure 100% about the conversion, but I, it feels right to say that. Um, <laughs> then they went to, to Malaga, Spain, where there was a huge festival going on. And um, it was just a lot going on there. And um, there's a bunch of teams playing there. Uh, this, the Spanish Federation is 100 years old, and they're doing this long sort of celebratory um, uh, event in Malaga alongside this festival in Malaga um, when there's bullfighting and things. It's right out of Hemingway. And um, then they've come here to Abu Dhabi for a week um, where they are. there's another set of teams here. Um, Abu Dhabi is getting into the basketball world and they're bringing in international teams. Uh, there's NBA teams coming here in October for preseason games. Um, there's a, I went to a junior uh, NBA, junior NBA uh, European and Middle East finals. I went to some games here. Um, there's um, American college teams, um, Kansas State and the University of Arizona. So like good, Kansas State was in the Elite Eight this year, the NCAAs, and Arizona is a legacy program. They're playing some of the World Cup teams here. Uh, Lebanon and uh, Mexico is here. And then the U.S. is playing Greece and Germany, and Germany is playing Greece in successive days in this you know, huge arena. Um, it's, you know, the dead middle of the summer here. So the temperatures are insane. Um, but it's an incredibly opulent place. Um, so it's, it's, it's very comfortable and the U S is playing very well. So right now there's nothing but smiles. So we'll see when we get to, uh, the monsoons of Manila, uh, when it's not so much fun. And if you stub your toe, you're going to get, uh, you know, grilled, but, um, team USA, everybody on the roster is playing FIBA basketball at the highest level for the first time. None of them have ever really played together. There's some guys who played together in college. Um, but, but there's only even one set of uh, teammates that play together in the NBA. So everybody is like happy and everything is new. It's all one giant honeymoon. So um, it's sort of just, I've been around long enough to know that there will be adversity coming, but right now everybody's just sort of um, gliding on air as we count down towards heading to Manila in a couple of days. It's, it's weird the way you describe the vibe around Team USA right now is maybe the complete opposite 
to what Australia is going through right now, where mm. it's it is hot and opulent where you are. We've just been in Melbourne where it is freezing. Uh, it is all smiles because Team USA is winning right now. Australia lost to Brazil and just lost their starting center. Jock Landau went down with an ankle injury, so he's out for the entire World Cup. So not crazy smiles here. Uh, you speak about a monsoon in Manila as well. I had a friend text me this morning that Okinawa is preparing for typhoon season. Um, and so I'm not looking forward to the potential of being amid a typhoon in Okinawa. Um, but that's that's the what you just mentioned is super interesting to me, that there is not much FIBA experience, at least senior experience, among the group that they have. Uh and they seem to be clicking, right? It seems to be, the flow seems to be there and everything, everyone seems to be sort of happy-go-lucky. That's what the feel is. Whereas here, it's it's like the FIBA experience is there and the FIBA sort of the tragedy is also that they've been through their losses. They've been through all that adversity before. And so you kind of, you can trust the processes that they'll get over, you know, losing Jock Landau and they'll get through this adversity. But is is there a feel that it's almost it's things are too good right now with team USA that it is weird that, that nothing has gone yeah, right. So probably. Far. Yeah, probably not only that, I can't even, when I say they got a dream draw in yeah. this world cup, I'm not even sure that that 100% it describes it. Their draw is, I don't think if you said to them, please design this tournament that would most suit you. I'm not sure that they could. Um, you know, in 2019 in China at the last World Cup, which was the worst finish for the U.S. in World Cup history, they finished seventh. Um, they had to be in four different cities uh, across China. So uh, you remember that yeah. you were there. You were traveling. You were traveling across China, and some of the travel was um, without going into too much detail or, or you know complaining. Um, there's a couple of places that don't have airports. So they had to sort of make long drives and it was over a Chinese holiday. And so the traffic was very bad. And so they had a couple of hellacious bus rides, especially when they unexpectedly lost to, um, to France in the quarterfinals. And they, they literally were all ready to fly to Beijing that night for the semifinals. Um, and all of a sudden they were not. Um, and they had to stay. <laughs> uh, and let's just say the game that they played um, the next day was not an impressive performance. They lost that one too. Um, their entire tournament in in uh, in this event will be in the not only in Manila, but in the same arena in Manila. Um, there's some teams in Manila who have, there's a second arena. Um, I'm not sure how far Okinawa is from Tokyo, but I know that uh, Indonesia, um, Jakarta which is where some of the best teams in the event are, is a good uh, like five or so hour flight. So some teams are going to have to pick up and travel you know, pretty far uh, midway through the tournament. Um, the way everything has fallen for the U.S. with the actual teams is unbelievable. They, the sort of power, other power team in their group is Greece. Um, and Giannis uh, Atenakumpo suffered a knee injury and is withdrawn. And I just watched the Americans play the Greeks um, uh, last night. They played an exhibition game. That's the quote-unquote tough team in their bracket. They do play the Kiwis coming out of the gate, but um, Greece has the capability to beat the United States, but they are not a strong team. Of the Greek teams I've watched over the last 15 years, 
it is one of the weaker Greek teams. Um, I don't want to make an assumption, but that being the quote unquote tough team in their bracket is incredibly favorable. And the way everything falls, if they handle their business, which, you know, I'm never going to assume in FIBA play, but if the U S handle their business and get through to the quarterfinals without losing, which quite frankly, they should, because the other team, I mean, the, the, the teams on their side of the bracket, the highest level team is Italy. Uh, I mean, that's a, that would be a tough game, but they would be heavily favored in that game. The U.S. could get to the semifinals without having to play France, Australia, Canada. Um, it's just really set up well for them. Um, of the of sort of the what I would consider the top four contenders would be like France, Australia, Canada, like Spain, Slovenia, Germany. Um, no, oh, Spain. I forgot about Spain. Um, I would say the top four are Spain, who they've already beaten in Spain, um, Spain, Australia, France, and Canada. Those to me would be the top four contenders. I think Germany, who the U.S. does play here in Abu Dhabi, still has is potent. Um, I think Slovenia is potent because of uh, Luca. They have already beaten Slovenia, but Luca sat out the game. Um, but I don't think Slovenia is as talented as deep as they were in the Olympics in Tokyo, where they uh, finished fourth. Uh, all-time classic game for the Aussies in that one. Um, but um, they would only have to potentially beat two of those four teams to win the World Cup. They're going to, those teams over there will cannibalize themselves and they don't have to travel. So um, look, uh, uh, things happen in FIBA play, especially in one-off situations where, you know, in American basketball, where you're used to, to lose out of the playoffs, you have to lose a series. You have to really kind of be outplayed. You can, you can have a bad quarter and, and lose a medal in the world cup. So I'll, there's no assumption, but their situation in their, in their draw is a dream. And um, um, that is, uh, that is just a, that is just the reality of where they're at. Yeah. And how, how fickle world cup basketball can be. So Australia just realized that real early on, they lost to Brazil in a warm up game because Brazil shot the lights out and Australia didn't shoot it that well. And one loss like that could just spell the end of your tournament. Um, and yeah, I, I empathize with Team USA going from city to city to city to city in China because I went from uh, Dongguan to Nanjing to Shanghai to Beijing following the boomers. Um, and I am very lucky. You were very lucky that you're just in Manila for this entire way, all the way through. I'm in Okinawa and then assuming all goes to plan for Australia onto Manila as well. Um, but I, the thing that, that, and, and again, you mentioned the draw, I'm looking at it now and like you mentioned New Zealand and New Zealand may have been a team that could have at least put up a fight against some of the other teams in group C, but they're missing the Webster brothers. So it's two of their more prominent guys. And so, you know, that's two really high level scoring pieces for them gone. And so it's just really tough to see them progressing too far. Um, but the, the preparation is weird because I'm from like the Australian perspective, uh, put aside the like historical context of this group being together for a good amount of time. And a lot of, of those high level teams you mentioned, France, Spain, uh, you know, these teams have been together for ages. But Australia, you know, they came together in Cairns with like an 18 man squad. They then whittled that down to 15 and then down to 13. And then Landau got injured. So 12 just picked itself. But there's been like a process and there is like a cultural figurehead in 
Patty Mills who can sort of rally everyone together. Whereas that doesn't exist exist for Team USA. It, it's almost like historical context doesn't matter for the USA. So I'm I'm curious at at how the team comes together. Is what is what is like the the only bit of continuity? Is it Steve Kerr just being part of the coaching staff moving yeah. forward? Is that it? There's zero continuity. The only continuity that they have is that <clears throat> uh, Mikhail Bridges, Josh Hart, and Jalen Brunson all played at Villanova together and are all very, very uh, friendly. And there's definitely a spirit of working together there. Uh, but they haven't played Villanova for years. So it wasn't like in the yeah. spring where they were playing. Um, and um, Cameron Johnson and Bridges, Mikhail Bridges, played with each other for the Phoenix Suns and now the Brooklyn Nets. They call them the twins because they play similar types of positions. Um, but that's not, that doesn't carry the day. Um, the It's a completely new organization with, with USA Basketball. Greg Popovich gave up the reins as the coach after Tokyo. Jerry Colangelo, who took over, um, he was took over after the loss in the 2004 Olympics. He retired as the executive director. So Grant Hill is a new executive director. And they made a decision that was interesting. They said, no tryouts, no cuts. Weird. Um, okay. They had, a, they had a select team um, that came to Las Vegas of younger players that in theory could have been used to you know, this has happened in the past where um, some players on the select team have sort of kind of, they've kind of evaluated everything after training camp and said, well, that guy doesn't look good. Um, he's got a, a sore ankle. See ya. Uh, th- th- some of the, um, the excuses over the years to let people go off team USA, like, um, you know, I'll never forget uh, Trey young who looked like he wasn't going to make the team uh, with Drew with pink eye uh, in, in for Chinese pink eye. Uh, you know, and I don't want pink eye, but, uh, you know, you take some eye drops and you're fine in two days. Uh, you, it's not that you're, you're not out for a month. Um, so there has been this process where they've sort of replaced players, um, promoting from the select team. They look at the, they, the, the select team had two practices with the team USA and they sent them home early. They said, thank you for your time. Bye-bye. Um, yeah. they brought a couple of, they brought three non NBA players to Abu Dhabi with them as emergency replacements, guys who were on the, who played in the qualifying windows. This was kind of like their thank you for going all over the Americas for 18 months and getting us qualified. Um, There's a former NBA player, Langston Galloway. He hasn't played in the NBA in two or three years. Um, So Mm. he was here like in case somebody got hurt, but they basically said there's no cuts and they, they didn't even bring like, you know, 14 just in case they had to cut two. And so that to me was very surprising. And, and initially I was like, well, boy, is that a, um, uh, you know, just a yielding to current player tastes where no player wants to have the, you know, feeling of being cut, even if they say he's got pink eye. Um, but it's had sort of the inverse effect um, in that everybody's roles were sort of negotiated and defined before they got here. Like Steve Kerr pretty much announced that Jalen Brunson was going to be his team leader and captain before Jalen Brunson arrived in Las Vegas. And he, he didn't actually name him captain, but he essentially said that's who he's, that's what he's going to be. And guess what? That's exactly the role Jalen Brunson has started playing. He started, he's the starting point guard. He's basically the, uh, 
you know, the soul of the team. And so I, instead of seeing, you know, any sort of, you know, jockeying for position or fighting for starting lineups, everybody just sort of fell right in. And again, maybe that's a, a byproduct of inexperience and that that inexperience will wrap around and slap them in the face when they face adversity. I mean, I'm uh, openly admitting that's possible. Um, but this is a team that was never together except for until two and a half weeks ago. And they have played four exhibition games and started the same starting lineup in all four games. This is unheard of. The concept is unheard of. Go find me any team. I don't care if it's a seventh grade team or a, a, a team of the senior U.S. national team. Go find me a team that's never been together and the coach comes up with a lineup and it works. And it's just like, okay, that's where we're going to go. They've established their lineup and it's fine. It's like, okay. Um, you know, and they, they haven't played a brutally a brutal exhibition schedule, but they did play Spain in Spain and they were behind in the second half in that game. Um, one of the more remarkable moments I've ever seen in FIBA happened in that game. Um, it was all set up for the U S to lose. Um, you know, it was a celebration of the Spanish Federation and they arranged it. So they, so the fret, so the Spanish had a day off and the U S was playing a back-to-back the second night. And, um, and this is something that I think all the Americans will always remember from this tour. Um, there was an, a, game, a, a referee who was officiating the game on Sunday night in Spain who was retiring, apparently. And at halftime, the Spanish Federation honored him for all of his years of service. And he's out there wiping away tears on half court, thanking Spanish basketball and Jorge Garbajosa, who was the head of the Spanish basketball federation comes over and wraps the referee up in a hug and they embrace for like five or six seconds, you know, and by the way, I have no, it's, I'm sure it is very emotional and everything like that. That guy's refereeing the game. And yeah. there were some calls in that game, particularly in the second half, because the Spanish were behind quite a bit, trying to make a comeback where the only thing you could do was laugh. <laughs> uh, you know, and not even so much like foul calls, like, like touch fouls. There was a couple of times where the ball went out of bounds and I'm sorry, there's just no possible way that a, an individual could, could miss this call. And especially the guy who was retiring, there was, there was one call in particular where I think it was just accept. It was late in the game and the Spanish were just trying like crazy. The last, I think it was just accepted that he just said, you know what? I'm just giving my team the ball. I'm sorry. And, um, and so, like that experience happened. And so I'm actually, I was actually thrilled for the U S team that they could go through it. Um, they could go through this situation where like, it was just completely stacked against them. I mean, the, 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 the air conditioning in the arena was non-existent. Um, it was, you know, to the, it was in the high eighties in the, you know, Fahrenheit in the arena, the coaching staff is over there just wiping away sweat. <laughs> They're not even playing. Um, so it's just a preposterous situation and the U S handled it. And so it's very unusual for a team to come together like that. And so while I do think they said no cuts to try to get players to come play in this, um, no, no players from 2019 came, no players from 2021 when they won the Olympic gold came. It's a completely new team. They obviously were struggling to get players. 
while they, I think they, that was um, somewhat of a, um, a sacrifice made. It's like, well, look, we're not going to put you through the stress of, of trying out. It has sort of kind of worked a little bit and they've looked pretty good. I, you know, I covered the 2019 world cup and I covered the uh, Olympics in 2021. And um, in both instances, the U S looked very rickety in the warmups. Uh, you'll remember, of course, um, losing to the Aussies in Melbourne, um, yeah, uh, in the big rugby stadium. Um, uh, that was the first it's time. A, it's a footy stadium, lost. Brian. Footy. A footy stadium. I'm so sorry. Uh, with okay. the beautiful um, 70 rows of seats with no. Uh, that is correct. All flat. Um, <laughs> uh, they thought they were getting LeBron James with a view, and instead they got. Um, I got Kemba uh, Walker. Uh, they, they got Kemba Walker and Mason Plumley, and they couldn't see it in the third row. Um, but anyway, obviously they lost that game. That was the first game they'd lost at international competition in 13 years. Uh, and then uh, leading up to uh, Tokyo, they lost twice uh, in the U.S., um, including once to Nigeria. Um, and uh, then they lost the opening game to France. Um, so there was red lights on the dashboard um, leading up to the last two competitions. And right now the dashboard is all bright green. So I don't know. We'll see. I think uh, every FIBA experience is guaranteed to be fraught with uh, adversity at some point. So I am expecting that storm cloud to move across, but it's not happening so far. Yeah. I, I look at that team USA team. It, it, feel, it feels different from the, so the 2019 one is the one that, I can most connect to this one because they're not the top tier dudes. They're sort of a level below that. And that team had Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Donovan Mitchell and really high level dudes. Um, it just seemed like there weren't any specialists almost. There weren't any defined roles. I feel like that was a big difference maker. And I think that was a big reason why they weren't able to be successful. I feel like most teams who finished toward the top of any major international tournament. You, there are defined roles that these guys go into the tournament knowing, whereas that 2019 team didn't seem as though it had it. And it sounds like this team does from Jalen Brunson up top to Brandon Ingram all the way down to, you know, Walker Kessler and, and Austin Reeves and these guys down there. Is that the difference you see as well? So, yeah, I also think that the U.S. kind of forgot its principles. Um, so one of the things about... Um, the Americans that they learned, especially after they lost in 20, 2004 and 2006 uh, for the Olympics and six, the, um, the worlds, which were in Japan. It's very hard to be successful uh, in FIBA play with small guards. Um, and unless you've got an absolute bulldog. So in the case of Patty Mills, uh, Patty Mills, uh, look like Steve Nash <laughs> and to yeah. me when he plays for uh, the Boomers. Um, it's actually incredible to watch. Um, uh, I was so happy for the Aussies to win the bronze because I had seen their, I mean, I, <clears throat> the, 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 the way the team was distraught um, in 2019 was something. Um, I, f I flew back on the flight like the next day with, some of the NBA players who are coming back to the U S and uh, I just couldn't even bring myself to go talk to them. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but you know, unless you've got a guy like Patty Mills and in the case of Jalen Brunson, Jalen Brunson is a little bit undersized, but 
it's really not advisable to play with small guards um, because the game is so rough and tumble. And um, he must learn that lesson. Uh, frankly, Chris Paul at times struggled when he was the, the point guard. And so if you go look at the teams that they built throughout the 2010s, they generally had bigger guards and they kind of forgot about that um, in 2019. And the team that they put out there was Kemba Walker and Donovan Mitchell. And those were their two best perimeter scorers. And when it mattered, they couldn't get it done. Rudy Gobert ate them up. Jokic uh, ate them up. Um, they had trouble with Turkey. Uh, again, red flags. They, they, you know, Turkey didn't even qualify for the World Cup this time. Uh, Turkey very nearly uh, beat them, in, you know, in pool play in, uh, in 2019. And so they kind of remembered it's a better idea to have Devin Booker than Donovan Mitchell. And it's no offense to Donovan Mitchell. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that Donovan Mitchell is not a brilliant player, but in FIBA it's harder um, for Donovan Mitchell. Um, and so if you look at this team that they have here, they have size at every position. They actually sacrificed bulk. They're, they they kind of have a thin team. They have a light, a lightweight team. They're sort of, the light in the, in the trunk, so to speak. Um, they've got a lot of thin players and they'll, that is a, a weakness of theirs, but they've got tremendous length and pretty much everybody on the roster can defend. There isn't one spot in the roster where they have a defensive weak spot. Their sort of weak defensive player is kind of Jalen Brunson. He's be their weakest, but he's their team leader. So mm -hmm. Steve Kerr, and they put together a team here that is more FIBA prepared um, than the last couple of teams they have. So part of it is they just remembered their principles. And, um, and so I do think that that will, that will show up. Everybody that the U S puts on the floor um, is comfortable in a switch situation and is comfortable uh, defending. And I think that there will be moments where they will be susceptible to, to bulk rebounding, uh, although I think it, when Jokic decided not to play, because I mean, Jokic is uh, a neutralizing effect. When Jokic decided not to play, <clears throat> that was a break for them. And, um, you know, Jock Landale being injured, <clears throat> you know, Jock would, Jock would be about as rough and tumble as anybody on this U.S. roster. Like, you know, against uh, the Aussies, I would expect Jock to, um, to have some success. You know, he knows these players, he knows their games. Um, and so that's a frankly advantage us that Jock got hurt. I hate to say that, but that's, that's just the truth. So um, there's a lot more care that has been put into this roster construction uh, from the start. And um, we'll see if it works, but you, you, you can see what they were thinking. Now I want to flip this flip roles a little bit. Do you have any questions or any inquiries about, Australia and the lead up to this team and this team and this tournament. Um, what's what goes through your mind with Australia? What do you what do you need to know? Well, it's obvious to me based on your reporting that uh, Josh Giddy is going to be very largely at the centerpiece. I am a, as you know, I'm a big believer in Josh Giddy. I think he's tremendously talented. Um, it's you talk about not having small guards. Hello. <laughs> Josh Giddy is six eight 
and can do everything you possibly need to create. I mean, he is the ideal FIBA guard. My guess is he is at the beginning of a long, successful FIBA career. So, um, you know, obviously you've got Patty there who Patty in the 2019, he was on his way to being MVP of the, of the world cup in 2019. Um, and it didn't work out. Um, but so, uh, and I, I mean, the, um, the young players that they have again, Josh green, this is an ideal FIBA player. Although it sounds like he's, his role is a little bit lesser than I'm interested in that because Josh green is uh, a guy who, um, is ascendant in the NBA. Again, we're talking about a six, eight, um, wing player who defends and shoots. This is what you need in FIBA. This is what you need in the modern basketball. Uh, and, and Matisse Thibel, who I know isn't as good of a shooter, but is incredibly valuable defensively. These three players that I just mentioned, young, early twenties, Aussies who are ideal FIBA players. I would expect with the older set moving on, um, that these guys, um, I'm not sure where Dyson Daniels is in there. I would have, uh, a year ago, I would have thought he would have been on this core team. player. Yeah, that's a bit of a surprise to me. But um, again, size, athleticism. To me, um, these young Aussies are. Uh, this is a. These are these are guys who I would expect to step forward in this World Cup um, and be a strong candidate to medal. I don't know if you see it that way. Yeah. So the giddy stuff was obvious from basically like the first five minutes of their first warm-up game against Venezuela. Uh, everything was going through him. The ball's in his hands. He is creating. It got to a point, I think, like at like the six-minute mark in the first quarter, Venezuela double-teamed him on the inbound baseline, purely just to have someone else bring the ball up. Um, that is the extent in which some teams are sort of fearing the idea of Josh Giddy being the main creator for Australia. Um, you gave Josh Green a few inches, six eight. I think six feels right, but I, I think he'll be happy with you. Calling, okay, he just he feels eight. like he's got good size to me. So no, no, okay. he does, and he he probably plays bigger than he is. Um, and he's an interesting one too because he missed the first two warm up games with an elbow injury, uh, but he started the last game. And Brian Gorgian plans to start him going forward. And so the Boomers finished Tokyo with Matisse as their starting three. I think Gorgian likes the idea of Josh Green as their starting three. Uh, the skill set he has, he shoots it better than Matisse. Uh, he guards on the ball. Gorgian thinks better than Matisse. And so Matisse off the bench, Josh Green into that starting lineup. Um, and I do want to ask about Josh Green as well, because there is a, a contract extension situation there. And I wanted to know just if at all FIBA basketball affects anything, uh, good or bad. Um, and then the other player that maybe, not that you're forgetting, but the reason why Dyson Daniels probably won't feature too prominently in this tournament. I think he's sort of the 12th man there for experience sort of guy is Dante Exum. Now he is coming off. I am forgetting at... him. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, look, he's coming off a season at Partizan just signed that. Well, I think it was like a veteran vet minimum deal with Dallas. So he's back in the NBA, which is great, but he's coming off two really, really good seasons in Europe. And so I think his skill set is just perfect for the FIBA game. He's a, 40% plus three-point shooter over the past two seasons in Europe as well on volume, especially in in his last season. So that's improving too. So those sort of core guard wing pieces are there. Um, the, I think the, the question that people are asking right now, and it might be 
overreacting early, but Patty Mills hasn't looked amazing in these first three warm-up games. Uh, Joe Ingles has also had his ups and downs. And so the, the, the fear, I think, among Australians is that the introduction of these young guys and, and them taking over may have come the slightest bit too late. Uh, that's the fear. The, there is an overwhelming chance that Patty Mills and Joe Ingles go into the World Cup and play as expected. But I, there, there is a, we wonder whether the introduction of a 20-year-old Josh Giddy may have come two years too late. I was surprised that they didn't bring Josh Giddy onto the um, <clears throat> the Tokyo team. Um, so was he. You know, <laughs> uh, I'll never forget. Um, there was a game in in the in the warmups uh, in Las Vegas um, mm-hmm. where uh, there was literally twenty five NBA executives. The Golden State Warriors sent like seven people from their front office. I think it was a game where it was designated where Josh was going to start and play a lot. I think it was Australia versus Nigeria. People were, yes. And this was sort of, um, you know, the COVID, you know, still in COVID workouts were limited. And so it was an opportunity to really evaluate him. And I was like, oh my God, like, you know, the draft (laughs) hadn't happened yet. You know, because you remember that we were, everything was off kilter. Josh was drafted while he, while the uh, uh, Olympics were going on, he wasn't there, but um, I was like, Oh my God, look, cause I, I, you know, I'd heard his name, but I didn't know his game. Um, and I was like, look at this guy. Like, and he, I, if I remember he played pretty well. And I, and I mean, you yeah. know, I, I became convinced there that he was, I don't, you know, golden state had this number two pick, but they were, you know, I think considering moving back, uh, they no, took I think James golden Weisman. state had, but I, no, that was after. So Golden State had seven. It was OKC. With okay, six. seven. Okay, that's right. That's why I said seven. I remember thinking to myself, um, Josh Kitty will not fall past seven because yeah. Golden State is out here in complete and total force. I, it, it wasn't the second pick. You're right. Um, and obviously, uh, the Thunder were were very interested as well. So, but I would say, you know, having watched. Patty Mills in the NBA the last year or two and knowing that, you know, Ingles coming off the ACL uh, it is time for those gentlemen to move towards the sunset. And they have had their incredible moment in the sun with getting the medal. And um, to me, I know that the world cup is, is um, an important thing, but to me, this is about preparing for Paris which is yep. going to be, in my view, right now, um, the hottest contested um, basketball tournament, international basketball tournament ever. There is an incredible desire for people to play in Paris. Some of the guys who are not playing this summer, <clears throat> like I think Jokic, I think you know, I think Nikola Jokic is like looking at this saying, okay, well, I just played deep into this NBA season. I'm planning to play deep into next NBA season. I really, really want to play in Paris. I don't know if the Serbians are going to qualify, but he's like, I've got to make my choice. And if I'm going to, I got, if I got to sit one window, it's going to be this one. Um, I think Paris is going to be an incredible um, event and getting one of those 12 spots is going to be super difficult. So in all honesty, I, from the outside, if what Australia accomplishes in the next month is 
having these guys cut their teeth, these young guys cut their teeth and make a transition. And they come out of the event holding one of the Olympic bids, which to me is a huge thing. If you walk away from Manila, there's seven bids going out and the, and the French get the eighth as the host. If you get one of those seven bids, when you get on that plane, you should have a smile on your face. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I know, I know the standard for the Aussies is to get to medal. You know, they haven't gotten a World Cup medal, so I, and, and I'm not saying that shouldn't be it. But like, if they walk out with these young guys playing well and holding a bid, I, I think they will have had a successful event. And um, I don't, I'm not even handing a bid to the Americans. Like I, I would assume that they would get one of the two bids, but um, the Canadians are extremely strong. Yeah. And um, there's some other teams in, you know, like the Dominicans are all of a sudden very interesting. Uh, now they've got Carl Towns. They beat the Canadians um, on Friday night in Spain. Um, so that's my viewpoint. I realize that may not be basketball Australia the way they want to see it. But like <laughs> to me, uh, they did it. You know, I was there in um in Tokyo. And it's such a, such a surreal situation because there was no fans there. And, um, but at the medal ceremony, when they were getting their medals, I was keenly aware of the emotion that the Australians were going through as those medals were being put on their necks. And I know a handful of the players personally. So I know what they've, what they've, what, you know, that it was a 15 year journey for some of them to get there. Yeah. That is the crowning moment. I know that it, it's, it's not the ultimate moment that someday Australia could win the gold medal. They have the talent to, to do that. But if that's the top moment for these sort of senior seniors, that's wonderful. That doesn't mean that in my view that they should be given different status. Like with all due respect, Josh should be the guy who's focused on. And I do think it's on time um, because to me, if this is a transitional tournament, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. I think it would be a good thing for these teams to, no one wants to be part of an Olympic qualifying tournament. Uh, that is, and especially you the Americans. You got that right. <laughs> because if, if the Americans were a part of that, who could compete? Are we looking at the, the Langston Galloways and the Josh Majets and the Michael Frazier's of the world. Like, is it, is it those guys who would be part of those qualifying games? I don't know. I'm just going to tell you that the U S qualified for Tokyo by the skin of their teeth, <laughs> okay. by the skin well, of their teeth. Um, well, cause I'm, and, and so I'm looking just at say, group C. Hey, yeah. Uh, so I feel like they will get it because their draw is, Brilliant. But again, you stub your toe at the wrong time uh, with the possibility. Like, I'm going to tell you, the Dominican Republic is a feisty team. They have been to the last two World Cups. They have some guys on their roster who have World Cup experience. <clears throat> they were in trouble in the qualifiers, and they went to Argentina on the last qualifying window in Buenos Aires and won to qualify and it's the, the also the Argentinians are decimated. They are nowhere near the team that they used to be. They are in, they are in trouble even qualifying for the qualifier 
right now. They're in a dogfight in Argentina, by the way, to qualify for the qualifier um, because there's three NBA players playing for the Bahamas um, uh, because the Bahamas are like DeAndre Ayton and Eric Gordon um, and those guys are trying to get the Bahamas to Paris and they smell a chance. Um, yeah. Like I said, people are trying to go for Paris. Um, so the, the Dominicans got into the tournament and then added Carl Towns, who is a great option in FIBA because he's a big man who can stretch the floor. There's all these European, yep. you know, big lumbering uh, big men who don't want to leave the paint. Um, and Carl Towns could make them. And Carl Towns gets there and they beat the Canadians. So, you know, the Brazilians obviously have some teeth. They win against the Aussies in Australia. Um, this is not their best team they've ever had, but you know, there's no assumption to be made, even for the U S that you're going to, Oh yeah, we're just going to show up and, uh, you know, then we're going to make our plans for Paris. Like, no, the only team that I'm going to tell you that I'm sure is going to the world cup. That's walking out with the bid are the French. Uh, and to me, as I cover the tournament, um, way I'm going to cover the tournament, you know, for the, for the the U S audience is largely going to be who's getting those bids because like Serbia is in a dogfight, is Jokic going to have the opportunity to play Slovenia is in a dogfight is Doncic going to have the opportunity to play because Luca almost carried the Slovenians who I'm not sure had ever played in the Olympics or hadn't played in the Olympics for decades. They were this close, as you know, to meddling, uh, in the last round. So, um, just again, I'm repeating myself, but do not look at the <laughs> at those seven bids as 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 something's lesser than walking away with a medal. Yeah, uh, I think Australia is pretty favored to walk out of here with an Olympic bid because there's one Oceania spot, and I think it's just New Zealand. And I have trouble seeing New Zealand getting out of America's group. Uh, that seems tough to me. Um, I agree. They are they are advantaged the advent advantaged with their region in the world. Uh, when yes. was the last time there was somebody else from Oceania besides Australia? Uh, it's it's Australia and New Zealand, and New Zealand is always like the little brother. Uh, and and I don't unfortunately. Didn't they used in, to have to play each other in a series? Didn't they used to like yep. say the big it goes to whoever plays each other in a series? Yeah. Yeah, that was so long ago that Ben Simmons was playing for Australia. That's that's how long ago that Oceania Championships was. I didn't know that Ben Simmons was Australian. I forgot. <laughs> um, okay, I, I want to ask about Josh Green because he is extension eligible with the Dallas Mavericks. I'm told that they started initial talks last week. Um, and I don't know the status of it currently, but going into a tournament like this, so he started against... Uh, South Sudan played quite well. I think Brian Gorgian likes him. I think he's going to start him going forward. Um, does Do the Mavericks look at this tournament at all? Do they care how well he plays? If he plays well, does he get any more like, a considerable amount more money? If he doesn't play well, can he lose money? What, what, what a, how do NBA team, how much stock do they put when it comes to the actual basketball for, for a guy who they're negotiating with? I think it can only help him. Um, I think uh, if he plays poorly, they'll just chalk it up to he hasn't played in the event before and, you yeah. know, you know, new team stuff like that. If he plays well, I absolutely think it can help him because um, uh, <clears throat> thing about it is he's an important, 
important player to the Mavericks because the Mavericks, they have reloaded a little bit. Um, they got a couple of first round picks this year, but like last year, by the end of the season, it was like um, Kyrie, uh, Luca, and then you look down the bench and there wasn't much there. Uh, Tim Hardaway is, I guess, their third best player, but they've been trying to trade him for a year. Um, and so um, they have uh, another young player, Jaden Hardy, who they drafted in the second round a year ago, yeah. who is an intriguing player, sort of high talent. But Josh is the sort of, you know, again, a wing player who defends. Um, this is in high demand. Um, you know, there's guys on the U.S. team who are some, who fit that bill, who just got paid a ton of money. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, you know, if if you're if you're Josh, you're looking at some of those contracts that got signed this summer, and you know, you've got pretty high expectations uh, for what you can get. Um, he is one of these players in a, in a, that, that could be a, a high stress negotiation <clears throat> in the NBA, the way it's structured, you have a four-year contract coming out. You can negotiate, you can extend your contract after your third year. Um, there's a segment of these players where there's no brainer Tyrese Halliburton, and yeah. Anthony Edwards, both from the same draft class, signed $200 million extensions within the first couple of hours of free agency. They're on Team USA. But then there's a, the, there's, and there's some guys who you know are already not working out, you know, that are not going to get extended. Um, Josh is in this part, uh, this little, this little um, lane where you're going to be paying him with the expectation of his improvement. And that's where we always get into gray area and we see standoffs happen. Um, historically, I will tell you that teams fare much, much, much better when they negotiate a contract extension with the player instead of waiting for him to be a free agent. Um, I will give you an example with the Americans. Um, Cam Johnson, who's older, he's an older player. He played four years in college, but he's on the team USA a year ago. He was in this boat. He was negotiating his contract extension. Um, the Phoenix suns probably could have gotten him for around $20 million a year, maybe even slightly less, maybe, you know, even in the high teens per year, six foot eight defending shooter. Um, and they offered him something, um, I think, um, four years at less than 70 million, which is obviously a lot of money. And he turned it down and he went and played. He ended up getting traded midseason uh, to Brooklyn, but he turned down, you know, something in the four year, $65 million range. So, um, you know, very good money. But he ended up signing uh, this summer for four years and 100 million. He made, you know, like over $30 million because in his fourth season, which is about the time where team where players tend to really find their footing, um, you know, he doubled his money or, you know, increased his money by 50% or, or there, thereabouts. So that's always a tough situation. And so when a, when a team is going to offer a player something, the expectation of his improvement, it's, it's um, stomach churning. And of the times where players have been extended before their fourth season, 
and the extension has been a mistake, they come from this class of you've bet on a player to improve any, 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 any flat lines. Um, and having said that the percentages are, it's so much better to pay him beforehand. So um, the Mavericks are carrying some big numbers on their books with Kyrie Irving and Luca. Um, but they frankly have very limited trade assets. So they need to sign Josh to a, to, they need to make Josh an offer that he will accept, but that makes him palatable to trade. Not because they want to trade him, not because they're looking to trade him, but because when you yep. have star players in their primes, you need to have flexibility on your, on your roster. So um, I would bet on something to get done, but I would bet that it comes down right to the buzzer in October, because this is one of those, where Josh will have have a number, the Mavs will have a number, pro- probably. I have no insight, but I'm just going to tell yeah, you yeah. historically, a player like this, um, they don't like the other person's number, and then they're like, "Well, screw you. We'll see you in September." And then, um, you know, but um, you very rarely see extensions get done in August. The extensions yeah. get done either in July or they get done in October. So that would be my expectation of where this heads. And it would be one of those that comes down right to the end. I'm, I'm so intrigued by it because based on what we saw in that last warm-up game and what Brian Gorgian said after the game, it looks like he's going to play pretty significant minutes for this team. Um, and if this is a team that goes considerably far in this tournament, he could be one of, because uh, when I look at it talent-wise, he's maybe a top three talent on this Australian team. Um, and so if he's a prominent piece for an Australian team that goes pretty far, I, I can imagine that would help. Um, and I wonder if that would expedite like a, a negotiation process or, or something like that, um, or at the very least increase his trade value. So then that whatever contract it is, is maybe more palatable to be traded. Um, I, I'm curious at the other teams in this tournament who you think could make some noise. You mentioned Brazil before. They're a team that was here in Australia. Uh, they went 3-0 and across these warm-up games. Granted, it was against Venezuela and South Sudan, the other wins, but they, they picked up a, a really good win against Australia. Uh, in that game, Raul Neto did not play. Uh, Felicio did not play. Uh, and Didi Luzada didn't play either. Didi, I'm told, is out for the World Cup. I don't know if that's out there, um, but he has a foot injury, so he's not going to play in this World Cup. Um but Brazil's a team that I think could make some noise. And when we talk about potential spoilers for a, a Team USA Olympic bid, Brazil's one of those teams. I don't. I, don't, I feel like people forget about them because because it's not Verajao and it's not Barbosa. It's not these guys. But they're a team that has Bruno Caboclo, who is interesting. Felicio is interesting. They have a bunch of big wing shooters. And their point guards are basically a mixture of Raul Neto and Marcelo Huertas. And so you have, you know, FIBA, uh, like drilled floor generals with talent and size around them. They're a team that, you know, in their group, they're in that group with Spain uh, and Iran and Cote d'Ivoire. I can imagine Spain and Brazil coming out of that group and causing a bit of havoc for what Canada and France in the next round. I don't, I don't think they're a team that's worth sleeping on. Um, when it comes to like, if, if I'm picking the dark horse, for this tournament. It's not just because they beat Australia. Granted, that is an impressive thing to do. 
I think they have the pieces and stylistically, I think they're really, really balanced. Yeah, the Jakarta regional, I don't know what the correct way to say it, but the Jakarta yeah. wing of the tournament is, you know, I know that in the in FIFA, they always like group of death. Mm-hmm. Well, the group of death is in Jakarta um, with uh, Canada, Latvia, Lebanon, and France. Um, Latvia just took a huge, huge hit with Porzingis uh, yeah. withdrawing. He withdrew last week. Um, so maybe not quite, but obviously Canada and France, they play out of the gate in the first game. Um, if Jakarta wasn't so far away from Manila, I'd want to <laughs> fly over to watch the game. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I happen to know a lot of players on both teams. I happen to know both coaches, Jordi Fernandez, who's the coach of Canada and um, Vinced Collette, who's the coach of France. Um, I was with Vincent um, not too long after the draw in um, I, I went to Victor Wembanyama the night he found out where he won the lottery. I went over there in, in Paris and Vincent, it was Victor's uh, coach in France this last season in Paris. And when I mentioned to when I asked him about the draw to play Canada out of the gate, he just put his head in his hands. He just couldn't believe that that's the draw that they got. Um, and not only that, but, um, you know, being in Jakarta, which, you know, being in Jakarta is the city is fine, but, you know, they have the tough travel. So whereas yeah. the U.S. got far and away the best draw, I would argue that the French, who they beat in the <clears throat> gold medal game in, uh, in Tokyo and who French, France beat in, in – uh, it's a real rivalry – the French have beaten the Americans two of the last three times they've played. The one time the Americans won happened to be in the gold medal game. But yeah. I would have argued going to this tournament that my favorites for the final were the French and the Americans. And the Americans got the best possible draw and the French got the worst possible draw. So um, the fact that you're giving me the scouting report on Brazil, that they look um, formidable is interesting because that's the same window. They're in the other group that is in Jakarta. And so to make it to Manila, um, you know, two teams are going to come out of Jakarta to Manila, and you've got Canada, you've got France, you've got Spain, and you've got Brazil. Two of those four are not going to make it, um, and therefore the United States is not going to have to beat uh, all three of those teams, which would have possibly been the case. So already some power was going to go home from Jakarta upset. Um, and without potentially without, you can, you can qualify for the Olympics without making it to the, the eight, which the Australians might be able to do. The Americans, like I said, barely beat Brazil in China to get the last spot, uh, before they got to the quarterfinals. So it can be done, but there's a possibility that they could, one of these teams could walk out of there, not only not making it to the quarterfinals in Manila, but also not qualifying. I mean, can you imagine Spain not qualifying for Paris? I mean, that is absolutely on the table. And, you know, yeah. Ricky Rubio withdrew from the tournament for personal reasons. And they started a 19 year old at point guard against the Americans and Jalen Brunson ate his lunch. <laughs> uh, they pretty much had to wave a white flag in the first quarter with that matchup. So, um, yeah, uh, Spain is somewhat, although they're, they're very, very savvy, uh, but Spain is somewhat vulnerable. And the Canadians, 
while they have, I believe, nine NBA players and Shea Gilders Alexander, who may end up being the people will say that Luka Doncic is the best player in the tournament. I'm telling you, Shea Gilders Alexander might be the best player in the tournament right now. He is that good. Not only that, he's been shooting the three pointer better this summer than he has before. Um, but Canada has nine NBA players and Shea Gilders Alexander, which I has a a claim to potentially being the best player in the tournament, and they may not make it to the Elite Eight if they don't, or the eight, the round of eight, if they don't play really, really well. So um, that is where it is. Jakarta is where the um, the big um, the big games in the early rounds are going to be going on, and, and that Brazil has looked formidable is is certainly an interesting development. Yeah. SGA, he, he may or may not be the best player. I think he'd be a top two guy with Luca. Um, he's the only All NBA first team, All NBA first team dude um, in this tournament. I think uh, for him not to make it, and, and the only comparison I can see is where I'm going to be, which is Okinawa, where that's right. Australia, Australia's group is Germany, Finland, Japan. Now, respectfully, Japan probably be the, the the last team in that group. I was with Brian Gorgian in Wollongong uh, here in New South Wales uh, when the press release came through from uh, uh, Basketball Japan and I, sh- I showed him my phone. I, Look, I, Rui Hachimura is not in this tournament. And you can you can see like a, a wry smile across his face because that Rui was sort of the a swing guy for that team. He, he could have made Japan the home nation, maybe do something. It probably feels like they're not going to do too much. Um, they're the sort of team that they could shoot the lights out and maybe cause an issue, but probably not. Um, but then it's Germany and Finland. And I wonder, and that's just that's just group E. That's not looking at group F, which is the other Okinawa group. That's right. That has that has Slovenia. Um, and Finland and Slovenia are the two interesting teams because I think we'd look at them as sort of one man teams, but that one man is uh, unbelievable. And also and so, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's and it's Larry Markinen who was um but was incredible, and then it's Luca on the other end who is up there with SGA as the best player in this tournament. But if I'm looking at who might make the quarterfinals from the Okinawa little region, one of Australia, Germany, Slovenia, and I guess Finland, but let's say Australia, Germany, Slovenia is not going to make it. So a Germany That's team right. with Dennis with Dennis Schroeder, Franz and Mo Wagner. Um, Daniel Tice, all these guys might not make it. Australia with all of their, I think 10 NBA guys, I think nine NBA guys on this team might not make it or Luka Doncic might not make it through to this, that quarterfinal. Those, uh, respectfully to the to all the those teams in Manila, these two teams on these little islands outside of the Philippines seem to be where there's going to be the big upset, right? And then they have to travel. Again, not that, yeah. Uh, going from Okinawa to to Manila is like you know going from you know Sydney to Los Angeles, but it's an extra. You don't have four days; you have like a yeah. couple of days, and then you go immediately play the knockout round. Um, the Americans had a bit of a travel challenge in China, and it affected them when they got knocked out of the of the medal round. Um, you heard me a few minutes ago talk about how Patty Mills like morphed into Steve Nash when he was playing for Australia. It, it, it's, it was wild to watch um, Patty Mills, the confidence that he played with. That yeah. is how Dennis Schroeder plays for Germany. 
Dennis Schroeder is now he just had a very good year in the NBA, but basically nobody in the NBA wanted him two years ago. He signed a minimum contract for actually maybe a couple of years in a row. He did have a very good year for the Lakers last year. And he just got a nice contract from the Toronto Raptors. Um, but Dennis Schroeder play, I watched the Canadians play the Canadians. They played the Canadians twice um, and split um, in the warm-up games. And Dennis Schroeder, absolutely attacks and he runs his mouth the whole time <laughs> and i'm very much interested um so the americans are playing the german germany plays tonight um uh right now we're, this is saturday morning to me and you uh germany plays tonight against the greeks and i expect they will tear the greeks up frankly and then um they they play the americans uh tomorrow on sunday that's going to be a very interesting game the last game for the two of them before heading to manila and um I'm interested to watch the Germans, pl uh, the Germans play. Uh, Franz Wagner is mm. an excellent player. He is a very big up and comer. Um, and the Germans are big. Um, you know, they are going to give the Americans <clears throat> some challenge because of their, of their size. And so, yeah, I, I don't think it's a, it, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, um, I mean, you may be correct in that getting the Olympic bid might be something that, that the Aussies can handle, but, um, Getting to Manila will be an accomplishment. Um, uh, I don't think, in all honesty, uh, I haven't seen the Italians play yet. Uh, the Italians had two big hits to them. Uh, number one, that Paolo Bancaro was poached by the Americans. Paolo Bancaro, the NBA Rookie of the Year, was all set to play for France. I'm sorry, all set to play for Italy. Like, pretty yeah. much... He almost played in the Olympics, but then he got COVID two years ago and this was all set up. And then at the last second, the U S like put him on their team and sort of drafted him. Um, that was a setback for them, but like, uh, Italy is sort of the most challenging team for the Americans on their side of the draw. Um, and I mean, with, you know, Serbia, with Serbia is in there, but they're not Serbia. Um, the Dominican is in there and I think it's interesting, but when you in, in, trying to pay respect to the Italians here, there might be some groups that have two teams that are better than the Italians in them. And then you got to play the other group to get out yep. of Okinawa. Um, let's put it this way. Germany and Australia are in that group. Again, with all due respect to the Italians, it's possible that just in that group is a tougher team than the U.S. could see all the way to the semifinals. Yep. Just trying to be charitable. Um, so, yeah, not easy, uh, admittedly. Yeah. And the Olympic qualifying stuff is something I'm looking at with – I'm looking at Group B, and we're pretty familiar with the South Sudanese team. It's their first time in a major tournament. The, we will hear it over and over again. They're, I think, the newest country on the earth. Um, and they have a, a sneakily formidable team. It's it's a lot of former NBL players, um, a lot of guys that Luol Deng has played a big part in sort of poaching. And so Brian Gorgian mentioned at the other night in his press conference that Angola is usually the sort of the African team that makes it through to the Olympic, um, the Olympics just because... They are generally the only African team there. South Sudan is 
I don't want to say stacked, but they have a lot of interesting pieces. They got a lot of dudes who are pretty well drilled and can play well organized basketball. So that's one I'm that's the one I'm looking at as well. Yeah, Nigeria was loaded with NBA players and made the Olympics last time, but their their sort of their federation sort of fell apart. Yeah. Um, and they obviously didn't qualify. Yeah. And then yeah, then I bring it back to when I'm looking at group E, the, the Australian group, and no no Jock Landale is a killer for Australia. Um, they have Duop Reith, who has had has experience in Europe, just played in China, but he's a, a really high level guy. Like he's he's beyond NBL quality, so he's sort of in that that weird range between the NBL and great NBA. athlete, great athlete, and and he's he's super skilled too. It was with the the Trailblazers summer league team, was really impressive. But can he make up for what Jock Landau? What you're going to miss with Jock Landau, um, and and that's why that sort of region sort of scares me because Germany. Germany's not just big up front when it comes to the bigs they have in Mo Wagner and Daniel Tice and Johann Voigtmann and then all these guys, but they're big across the board too. Like Dennis Schroeder's not a, a tiny point guard and Franz Wagner is 6'10". They're a pretty big team. Yeah, it's I'm curious whether Australia's size overall, basically starting their 6'8 point guard and going up from there. I wonder if that'll be enough to counteract all the size that Germany has and if Finland comes in and Larry Markinen makes some noise and upsets someone. Yeah, I'm um I'm going to be watching. There's not going to be a lot of interest. <laughs> Team USA's, <clears throat> you know, their group is Jordan, Greece, and New Zealand. And like I said. Respectfully, yeah, I, I understand. <clears throat> um so I'm gonna be spending some of these first two days watching from the other islands. Um, you know, I was thinking when this, cause there's, you know, the, there's another arena in, in Manila, um, Araneta Coliseum, which is famously where the thriller in Manila was with Muhammad Ali. Um, I was like, Oh, you know, maybe on some, uh, maybe I could go up there and watch some other games. And I'm kind of looking at them like, <laughs> I mean, maybe when the Dominican Republic plays Italy, but why don't I just, not fight the traffic and I'll just watch it on, on yeah. online. So, um, uh, but, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> like I said, I remember watching the draw very early in the morning in the U S and, um, you know, the draw is very complicated because there's all these rules and even the draw itself, there's all these like little pots and everything like that. It's all kind of happening very quickly and the smoke all cleared. And I was looking at this and I was like, you know, it was like 7 a.m. or maybe it was like 6 a.m. to me. And I was like, my God, I, I can't believe how this all just fell for the U.S. I just can't believe it. And um, that's only been backed up as we've gone on for the last three or four months since it happened. Yeah, I remember that draw. I was I was at a wedding when that draw was happening. And it said it was going to start at a certain time. And it didn't start for an hour because there was, there was like a dancing robot. <laughs> and then there was, there was some... Yeah. <laughs> there was some there was some uh, uh artists that came out and sung and then it just took them so long to do it uh and then when the draw came out i thought everyone in australia thought okay group of death for australia that was the immediate thought and i, I guess everyone sort of thinks that way but having a team with germany and then larry markin's team and then a home team in japan you think this might be tricky um and then i had to figure out where okinawa was and do a bit of research on that and it was a u.s military base at one point and then just, I guess, see the geography. It's like a three-hour flight from Tokyo, so it's not 
particularly close to Japan, like as a, a like the main island of Japan. No, so no, so but it is I've, tropical. Yeah. You are going on a tropical trip in your winter, Olgan. You're not. I, I will not <laughs> weep tears for you. I know, I know, and and the media situation. It's close to a beach, and we're, we'll be okay. Um, but the, but there was yeah. there were a lot of unknowns that we had to figure out before we head into this. Um, before I'm going to let you go because it's yeah, it's not this. It's the early. It's the morning for you. We're both recording this at a reasonable time. It's time for breakfast. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, but any any last thoughts about this World Cup as a whole before I let you go? Because I li- I like that we've like fully encompassed this entire World Cup and this is sort of like a one stop shop. But any anything on your mind that you want to throw out there? Yeah, I'll never convince the Americans that the World Cup is the hardest tournament to win, even though anybody who operates in international basketball, it's not a question. The Olympics is the hardest tournament to qualify for. The World Cup is the hardest tournament to win. And this event, the way it's set up, is going to be hard to win. Um, The the spread of talent has never been better. Um, uh, you know, I, I exist in a world where if the U.S. doesn't win a game by 25, it's deemed as like, what's going on? Despite the fact that they had to fight and claw to win the Olympics um, last year, uh, I mean, two years ago, um, it is the, <clears throat> the U.S. delegation, they know that they are in for the, a huge challenge over the next two summers. And they have not won the world cup since 2014 it's been nine years since they've won so i think it's going to be a challenge for sure um for everybody and that there needs to be a lower level gratification for the teams in this tournament like i said like we talked about getting out of your group may be a huge success getting to the to the final eight to the to the knockout stage may be amazing an amazing accomplishment um, and, um, you know, I think the FIFA world cup has looked like that, you know, certainly in America, yeah. if the U S makes it to the, to the knockout stage of the FIFA world cup, it is deemed it a humongous success that needs to sort of be the standard, even for the top teams. If France makes it to Manila, they'll have done great, you know? Um, and you know, they won the silver at the European championship last year and the silver at the Olympics. And I'm telling you, if they make it to the, to the eight, they've done great. And so I think that's the, going to be the challenge for the journalists to sort of tell that story and put it in perspective. And but I also good luck telling that to all the players who go to this, the, the Australians who were in tears when they lost in the semifinals and the bronze medal game in China few years ago i i i get I, getting access with basketball australia is hard enough getting access when they're coming off a brutal bronze medal loss is it's one of the toughest things you'll ever do as a journalist um because the emotions i remember luke longley high. was ready to speak luke longley was more than ready to speak um <laughs> he gave one of the best quotes i've ever been able to get um but good luck telling these guys that winning a medal or having success at this tournament doesn't matter as much as it has been made pretty clear that in the back of everyone's mind, this is a lead up to Paris. Everyone is looking forward to Paris. This is sort of the tune up, but Australia, I'm, and then obviously Team USA too. Everyone wants to win this. It, there is in in talking about how difficult it is and and how the Olympics seems to be the actual 
nugget that everyone's chasing, I feel like that makes that makes this even more special to win something like this because it is so hard to get further down the line. Um, and I think Australia, the way the way the focus seems to be, and and seemingly the way the vibe seems to be with Team USA, where it seems like everyone's zoned in, everyone's locked into this right now, which is very cool to see. But Australia seems particularly kind of locked in and and ready to make a deep run here, even with the sort of adversity they're already facing. Well, I hope to see you in Manila. I hope to see the Australians in Manila um, because um, I'd love to see um, the French and the Australians um, and the Americans uh, and the Canadians. Um, I'd love to see that final four. I think that would be amazing. Yes. No offense to anybody else. Um, that those teams are super duper talented. So that would be awesome to watch uh, over the course of a couple of days uh, in September. Um, but there's a long way to go between now and then, both physically yep. and, and literally. Yep. Um, well, I look forward to it. I hope to see you as well. Uh, good luck to you in uh, the Philippines, in Manila. You're there the whole way through, which is which must be nice. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. It, checking into a hotel for, for 20 nights is not something that uh, I've done uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever done it before. So I guess I did it in Japan, but that was more of like a sell during COVID mm. restrictions. So uh, it, it's, it's a different, it's a different experience. Well, look, all the best to you. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking throughout the tournament and uh, best wishes. Good luck with it all. All right. Travel safe. See you soon.